Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. All right, let's go, let's go. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. I got a fresh one for you all. Everything that I'm teaching is right from my book. Now, I wrote a book called It's Not Complicated. And, and because it's a book called It's Not Complicated, you cannot write a book called It's Not Complicated and make it as long as your Bible, okay? So it's a really thin book. It's an easy book for, the, uh, for you to read. But my point being is in this sermon series, if you're thinking, well, Pastor, I read the book. I don't need to go see the movie, meaning your sermon. Like, I don't need to go. And there's a lot that I'm going to be unpacking over the next uh, five weeks that are not in the book. There was so much that I left off just for the sake of keeping it simple and making sure that it wasn't complicated. So I got a lot of new stuff that we're going to be teaching that you're not going to find in the book, starting with this passage of scripture. So let's go. Philippians chapter three, verses 10 through 14. Now, now if you're wondering why this may read a little different than what you're used to hearing, it's because I'm reading from the message translation. Okay. This is the author, Paul talking to the church of Philippi. And he says this, I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I can know Christ personally. Time out, pause. He's calling all the stuff that he knew before Christ inferior, whether it was his religious um, accolades that he had or just the lifestyle that he lived. What Paul was saying is all of that stuff is inferior to knowing Jesus, okay? So he said, I gave up all of that inferior stuff so that I can know Christ personally to experience his resurrection power, to be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself. Now, this is what separates Paul. He's crazy, okay? He says, if there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted that too. That's wild. Paul was saying, crucify me and resurrect me just like Jesus. Like, like I'm in for all of it. Now, he was a little extra, okay? But, but let's go on. But that's what he is saying. Now, he says this. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So for the next few moments, I want to talk to you on the title, which just happens to be the first chapter of my book, What Did I Just Say Yes To? What did I just say yes to you? Let me pray for you all, and then we'll be seated, and then we're going to have a great time together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for what you are doing. I thank you, God, for your presence that we have felt from the moment we arrived on this campus. I thank you, God, for how you moved so powerfully earlier today for the people that said yes to you for the very first time. I thank you for them, God. And now as we get ready to hear what you have to say, Lord, I just pray that as I speak to this larger audience that you would speak personally. Would you speak uniquely, depositing a word that every person in this place needs to hear that can only come from you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Clap your hands one more time and you may be seated. Come on, let's talk about what did I just say yes to? Have you ever said yes to something without having all of the information that you probably should have had before you said yes? Has it ever happened to any one of you? 
It's happened, right? Let me tell you about the one time that I said yes. So I graduated in college in the late 1900s because that's how old I am. I'm not lying. And when I, gra- when I graduated from high school, uh, a friend of mine um, said, hey, do you want to come with me up to the Bay Area? I'm going to have a party with some of my friends. It's going to be a great time. And I said, yeah, let's go because, you know, I had just graduated from high school. And I was just itching for a trip. And I said, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I said yes. And I committed myself and my parents co-signed. And off I go to the Bay Area. It was like the week after graduation. Now, I said yes without thinking this one thing through. I had just got accepted into San Diego State University. Come on, shout out to all the Aztecs in the tent. There's just a few of you. See, this is the thing, like how San Marcos didn't exist when I graduated from high school, okay? Because that's how old I am in Jesus' name. Anyway, so like there was no Cal State set. So I know there's a lot of cougars. Where's the where's all the cougars at in the tent? All right, there's a lot more of you. Okay, okay, okay. Um, well, listen, that's a young school. But anyway, I was on my way to San Diego State. I had gotten accepted. And the only thing pending was I had to go and take an English entrance exam. Entrance exam. Um, and, and, and so I, I said, let's go on this trip. And I was supposed to take my exam, but I thought, I'll just take the next one. No big deal. No big deal. I'll just take the next one. So off I go, and when I come back, I go waltzing into the admissions office of San Diego State. When I get there, I let them know, hey, I missed my entrance exam. When's the next one? And the lady looked at me. She's like, there isn't a next one. I was like, uh-oh. I said, oh, well, then what, 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 what do I do? And she's like, you reapply for entry next year, next fall. I was like, oh, no, there's no, I, like, I wish I would have known that by taking this trip, it would cost me entrance into San Diego State University. Now I was headed to Harvard on the Hill. That's AKA for junior college, okay? So that, that's where I was headed. I was headed to Harvard on the Hill, which was not what I had in mind, but I said yes to something. And I didn't have all of the information. So what I'm going to be talking to you all about is that many of us said yes to Jesus, but we don't know what to do next. We said yes to Jesus, but we don't have all of the information. We said yes to Jesus, and we're just trying to figure some things out. And unfortunately, sometimes you say yes to Jesus, and then the church comes and makes it very confusing for you. Well, that's why I wrote this book, because I believe following Jesus is not complicated. I believe following Jesus is not complicated. He didn't want for it to be complicated. As a matter of fact, it's people that make it complicated. We're the ones that took something that should be simple and made it complicated. So I want to help you. What does it mean when you say yes? What do I do next? Where should I go? And and, and really, what did I just say yes to? So let's unpack this all together. Go with me to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. I'm going to read two verses to you guys, and then we're going to unpack these two verses together. Paul's talking to the church in Rome, and he says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up in a fundamental church, and we like this verse right here by Paul. We don't like Romans 10 and 9. No, 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 Paul, you're making it too easy for people, Paul. You're making it way too easy for people to get saved, Paul. It's you, you just can't just say that he is Lord and you're saved. Like there's things you got to do, Paul. There, you got to make them jump through hoops, Paul. There's an obstacle course called Christianity, Paul. And so I want to preach about this because, again, this was a passage of Scripture that growing up in church, we just about avoided altogether. Like, <laughs> like we, didn't even, we, we acted like it didn't even exist. What? Wrote 10.9? Is that in the Bible? Never heard of that. Acts 2.38. That's the only one. 
want to know. You know, so it's like we, we try to like, so, and so I want to unpack all of this together and take us down on this journey of what does it mean? And when you say yes, what did you just say yes? So, so here's the first thing that Paul says. When you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and that's the first thing that I want you to write down. Jesus is Lord. Can you all say that together? Say Jesus is Lord. Now, the way that I preach and the way that I teach the Bible is we will always first go back to what the writer meant to who he was saying it to. And once we, that's called interpretation. And once we have interpreted it, then we'll make an application for today, okay? So Paul is writing to the believers in Rome, and Rome at that time is steeped in idolatry. It is steeped in paganism. They had all kinds of little gods that they worshipped. There was moon god. There was sun god. There, there, there was mother god of this. And there was all of these different gods. And they all had idols. They, they would, they would, there was different landmarks. Like before there was ever a Mount Rushmore, they would etch the different gods into the sides of hills or mountains. And they would come and worship that god. And all of this was going on in Rome. So when Paul writes and says, Jesus is Lord, what he was saying is that Jesus is greater than all these little G-gods that you got going on right now. When he said Jesus is Lord, what he was saying is all of these little specialist gods, and that's what I like to call them because you, you pray to this God for healing, you pray to this God for money, you pray to this God for a good harvest, you pray to this God for fertility, and, and, and Paul is saying, listen, 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 that's cute, you got your little G gods, but there's only one Lord and his name is Jesus. There's only one Lord and he's not in a grave. He rose from a grave, he's ascended, sitting on the right hand of the Father, and you don't got to pray to 10 different gods, you just got to pray to him, and he's going to work everything out on your behalf. That's what Paul was contending when he wrote this. This is why he wouldn't like Paul very much. A lot of people had um, a, a, a lot of special interests in their specialty gods. And so the context is when Paul is saying this, he's trying to speak to a very cluttered and distracted church and get them to singularly focus on Jesus. Because how many know that the, what, what happens today and what happened back then, and sometimes you kind of see this on T-shirts now and nowadays, is pe people like believed in Jesus, but they still had a lot of stuff they were hanging on to, right? I think a lot of people do this in, in church too. Have right? you ever seen those shirts that is like, I, I'm, I'm saved, I'm holy, but I'm also kind of hood? You know, have you ever seen those? <laughs> I'm holy, but I got some hood in me. Like, like, I'll read my Bible, but I'll cut you at the same time, you know? So I think what Paul was getting to was like, hey, guys, you got, you got to put your little idols away and focus on Jesus being Lord. You, you got to put all of those little G gods away and focus on Jesus being Lord. That, that's what he was saying. Now, now, the problem is we read that and we're like, I'm good. I don't have any idols. I don't worship anything else. I only worship Jesus. So let's examine that in the context of God's word together. Because so many people in the tent worship their money. Now, now, I, I know you don't stack dollar bills, or at least I hope you don't, stack dollar bills at home and coins and bow down to it. I know you don't do that. You're not Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales. You guys remember the reference? Remember how you had stacks of money? Anyway, um, I'm, I'm giving my age away, everybody. But uh, I'm not saying you do that. But listen, this is, how you worship the, this is how you worship money. You run every single decision that you make through the funnel of your money. Like, like you don't. You don't make a decision without first consulting your checkbook. And, and, and I'm not talking about in a stewardship way. I'm talking about in a way where your money has you bound. You get real squirmy in church when it comes time to offering. Mel gets up and you start talking about offering. You're like, oh, here go the church talking about the money again. 
I found that the people that don't have a problem with money can openly talk about money. The people that don't want to talk about money are typically the people that got a problem with money. And you think you've got your money, but the truth is your money has you. You're not in charge. Your money's in charge. And so you, you, you don't bow down to it, but money has become such an idol in your life. You don't make a decision based on faith. You make a decision based on finances. That's it. It's just your finances. So, so, so Paul would say to you, who's your Lord? Is your Lord Jesus or is it your money? Okay, let me go off of this because all the people that like their money are getting real mad at me. So let's go to another one, all right? Sometimes, you guys tracking with me? Sometimes other people's approval becomes an idol in our lives. We, we, we are just so, so hindered by the opinions of other people. And there's actually a name. They had to come up with a name for this. Codependency. Where you, it, that's, that's like terrible. Like we have to like diagnose it because so many people will only make decisions um, when you think about what, what are other people going to say? What are the other people going to do? What are they going to think? And, and, and we are bound. We, we have the idol of other people's approval in our life. Now, now I get some of this because, because you know, in, in, in the family that I grew up in, my, my grandfather was a patriarch, and he was a bishop within the organization. So anytime we went to a service, my mom's like, you, you just remember who your grandpa is, okay? Don't be acting the fool because you're going to you, you remember who you are. And I get that, and that's good intention. But my point is some of you get older, and you are still bound by the opinions of other people. Now, now, I've not experienced this yet, but I've talked to some of you all. Y'all talk to me about your kids. Sorry, kids, your mom and dad put you on blast. I'm about, I'm about to put them on blast. But, uh, you, the, you know, my, my son's not on social media, but I hear that sometimes the biggest, the biggest issues amongst the kids is, my friend didn't like my photo. <laughs> you like, your, your baby girl's crying in the room. What are you crying about? My friend didn't like my photo. It's like, but they're your friend, right? Yes. But they didn't like my photo. Okay, I give up. I don't understand. Okay, do they like you? Yes, they like me, but they didn't like my photo. You got to be careful with that because eventually that goes into codependency. And I have seen some grown adults. I have seen some grown folk post something on social media. And, and five minutes later, how many likes do I got? How many likes? Oh, not enough. Delete. And I know. So I'm, I'm right up in your grill this morning. And they're like, I did not get enough likes. Delete. Because we are so bound by the approval of other people. And, and, and so Paul would say, who is your Lord? Paul would say, who is your Lord? Here's my next note. Because idolatry is when you make anything else the Lord of your life. Idolatry is when you, you make anything else the Lord of the life. It's like, Lord, I love you. But there's this other thing that you continue to di- allow to direct your life. That is not him. It's other people's approval. It, it, it's your money. We can go on. It is alcoholism. It's sex, okay? It's pornography. It's substance abuse. Anything else that is now directing your life is the Lord of your life. Because one, one of the analogies of Lord, to, to, when you say that Jesus is Lord, what you are saying is, I make you the conductor of my life, the director of my life. Anybody ever been to a symphony before? It could have just been a high school symphony and it was terrible, but like, I just like, it didn't have to be the nice bougie kind, but like, you ever been to a symphony where, like, when you walk in, everybody's warming up, everyone's like tuning their instrument, you got the clarinet going, the oboe going, you got the trumpet going, you got the tuba going, the French horn. I was in band, that's why I know all that stuff. You guys are like, 
How many instruments? You know, the guy's banging on the timpani, you know. And, and have you, if you've ever walked into a music room when, when they're getting ready to play, it sounds like noise. But the minute the director, the minute the conductor, the minute the Lord steps onto that little platform and he's got that little baton, that little wand, that stick-looking thing, like he's about to cast a spell. Like he just like, he taps it or she taps it on the music stand. And the minute they do that, everybody comes into attention. And now as the conductor begins to move their hand and move the baton, what was once noise is now music. Which, what was once out of order now comes into order. When you say Jesus is Lord, that is what he does in your life. He takes the noise of your life. He takes the messiness of your life. He takes the unrehearsed things of your life, and he makes music with it. And he wants to be the Lord of your life, but too many times we allow other things, other people, other stuff to be the directors of our life. And so what Paul was saying then and what I would say to you today is it, Jesus must be the Lord of your life. Every decision should funnel through him, not, not anyone or anything else. God is leading me to do this. The Lord is leading me to do this. Jesus is my Lord, and so everything, run, everything runs and funnels through him. Say amen if you're tracking with me. So Paul is saying, we're going to stop all this distraction. We're going to focus on him. And then he goes on to say this next thing. He says, when you do that, then he says, you will be saved. So write down, I am saved. I want you to say it loud. Say, I am saved. You guys got that fundamental response. You're like, hold oh, on a second, Pastor Josh. It's a little too easy. You're making it too easy for people. And, and listen, I, I found it that most people that have a hard time with this type of teaching are the people that had to come out of those type of churches. Because, I mean, I get that you had to go through the obstacle course, but now you, like, want to make everyone else go through the obstacle course. You're like, Made it. make it harder for them, pastor. I had it difficult. <laughs> but, but listen, Paul says this. He says, gee, he is going to save you. When you make him the Lord of your life, he, he, he is going to come and everybody say rescue. He's going to, to the, the word saved in this context, Paul is saying to rescue you from danger. The minute you say, I make you the Lord of my life, he comes and he rescues you from the dangers of your life. He comes and he rescues you from what is going on. He comes and he rescues you. And, 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 and rescues me from what, pastor? From hell, first and foremost. And I know we don't teach a lot about heaven and hell, but it's coming, okay? This fall, you get ready. We're, going, we're deep diving into the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about the future because it's important. And I get that we don't talk about it every Sunday because, there, frankly, there are some churches where that's about all they talk about, you know? It's like they're just scaring everybody into the waters, you know what I mean? Let's just scare everybody into heaven. And we, we approach Jesus from a whole different bend, you know what I mean? And, and, and so... First and foremost, he rescues us. He saves us from eternal damnation. But, he, but, but probably more importantly, because it puts us there, he rescues us from ourselves. He rescues us from ourselves. Because many times we blame the devil and it was your bad decision. Many times we blame the devil and he's like, yo, I was over in Ukraine. I wasn't messing with you that day. Don't blame me. Like, you did that, okay? I was on the other side of the world and I'm not omnipresent like your God, all right? So stop blaming me for the decision that you made. You flirted with the admin and that had nothing to do with me. But, 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 but it's our bad decisions. It's our bad decisions. So when we say, Jesus, you are Lord of our life, he comes and he rescues us from ourselves. 
Because we're the ones that get ourselves into trouble the most. We are the ones that get ourselves into trouble most often. I know it's easy to blame the devil. And again, I grew up in a culture, we, we blamed everything on the devil. Like, we just, everything on him. And it was like, no, that was you. That was a very poor decision that you made because Jesus is in Lord of your life. You've got other things that you've allowed to be seated on the number one chair of your life. My son is reading through the Chronicles of Narnia. And so how many remember that book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Do you guys remember that book? So, so for those of you that don't know, this is, this is far superior than Harry Potter, okay? Because it's written by a Christian author. <laughs> Fighting words for some of you millennials. But anyway, um, it's actually written by a Christian author, C.S. Lewis. And so everything in the book is actually an analogy to the gospel. Everything in the book is actually an analogy to the good news. That's why I'm having him read it. Because as you read it, it's actually illustrating spiritual points with something so simple. And so I asked him about the part where Edmund interacts with the queen. Y'all remember when Edmund interacts with the queen? For all of my, all of my folks in the room that read through this book. And she offers him what? Turkish delight. You guys remember that? Which Turkish delight is just really good chocolate. Apparently they make good chocolate in Turkey. So, um... <laughs> I think. Um, but, but what it represents is sin. Everybody say sin. It, it, it represents the bigger problem that sin, hear me, okay? Sin starts off as good. I, I know, fundamental teaching is it's that, no, 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 it's bad. Oh, it's all terrible. No, 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 no. Listen, if it was terrible, you wouldn't do it. But the problem is because it's so appealing, we do it. And, and, and so, so Edmund is tempted with this chocolate because it starts off so good. But how many of you know you can't have a diet of chocolate and that be good for you? Some of you guys are pushing back. You're like, no, pastor. It's okay to have cake at 8 a.m. and again at noon and a little bit after dinner. No, you... <laughs> are you guys getting the analogy now? Some of you guys didn't even know that was analogy. They're like, I love that book. Had no idea it was about the gospel. But, but, the, but, but what happens is is that when, when we have not made Jesus Lord of our lives, when, when we don't put him in charge, listen to me now, it's so much easier to give in to sin. It is so much easier to give in to temptation. It is that much easier to give in to something that ultimately you know is bad for you. But he's not Lord of your life because when you make him Lord of your life, everybody say allegiance. allegiance. Say it like you had breakfast tomorrow. Say allegiance. To have faith in Christ is to put our allegiance in him. Now, now we, don't, we don't talk a lot about that when we talk about the subject of faith. As a matter of fact, what we've been unpacking in the Bible call together is a lot of people have faith in faith. <laughs> you can have faith in faith and not have faith in Jesus. Well, it's my faith that saves me. No, it's Jesus who saves you. The object of your faith is wrong. We, the, the, you know, there was even a, a song, I think, in the 80s, and you got to have faith. You know what I mean? And just, just talk about faith, faith, faith. And, and the thing is, so many of us have faith in faith, but we don't have faith in Jesus. Because if you have faith in Jesus, that means you have allegiance in Jesus. And when you have allegiance in Jesus, you should act a way, certain way. Because your allegiance shouldn't be something that you profess, but it should be something that you are. And so people should know who you are without them having to tell you without you having to tell them what you are. They should just see you and know that person is devoted to Jesus. There was a writer, I forget who it is, but he said, you know, preach, preach about Jesus. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing this. Preach about Jesus and only when necessary use words. You ever heard that? 
Tell others about Jesus. And only when necessary, use words. What are they saying? Your life is your message. The way you live, the way you treat people, the way you talk about your boss, the way you treat your coworkers, the way you treat your family, the way the rhythms of your life, that is your loudest message. Not what you say. Not what you say. And, and so what Paul is saying here, when he said, Jesus is Lord, he says, when you say Jesus is Lord, it's going to begin to align every single area of your life where your life shows that you are living in allegiance to him. And when you do that, he says, you will be saved. You will be rescued from danger. And I'm coming to a close. So let me, let me illustrate this. Let me get to um, a, a portion that we read uh, here from, from Paul that I think you got to get. I think it's gonna, really going to help you, okay? So we're talking about, okay, make Jesus Lord, and Pastor Josh is making it sound really easy, so why don't we do it? Why, why don't more people make this decision to follow Jesus? Why do more people just kind of sit on the sidelines? Sometimes we come to church and we're like, Pastor, I, I think it's just too far for me. I'm only here so my kids can grow up in church, and I want them to get it right because I made mistakes. So let me, let me try to illustrate this for you, okay? Let me illustrate this for you. So track with me on this illustration. If this is where Jesus is, I'm talking about this physical space on this rug. If this is where Jesus is, what happens is many of us feel like we are far from him because of through our actions, through the decisions that we have made, our, our, what, the way we've lived our life is we have walked in an opposite direction from him. And so we get to this point where you hear a message that Jesus is Lord. Would you make him Lord of our life? But you're hearing he's there. And the biggest thing that's going on in your head is, is if, if, if I make a decision to make him my Lord, I've got a long way to go to get to him. If, if I make a decision to make Jesus my Lord, I got a lot of work to do. And I don't know if I can do that. that I, I don't know if I have it in me to do that. And, and, and what happens is, this is what we've done in the church. Someone comes for the first time and, and we present a gospel that says he is here and you are there. And if you want to receive Christ, you got a lot of work to do, buddy. Okay. Now we want you in the church, but you got a lot of work to do. We, we, we want good things for you, but boy, you got some cleaning up to do. We, we want good things for you, but, but I hope you're ready. And, and, and this is not good news. The gospel is good news. But, but when this is our message that, that he is here and your decisions have put you here and you're never going to get to where he is, this is why more people don't make Jesus their Lord. And this is why more people aren't getting saved. Because this is the way that we have taught the gospel. And this is wrong. Because let's look at what Paul says. Paul says, I'm on my way. Reaching out for Christ, watch this, who has so wondrously reached out for me. So let me illustrate this to you. If Jesus is here, now this, this is gospel. This is the good news. And if you're here, and as you begin to walk away from Christ, because you've been trying to do it your way, sin is separating you from him you're you're convinced to just do it your way and by the time you get here you come into a worship service like this and you're like i want to receive him but i'm i'm so far from where i need to be i'm i'm so far from him now like like i was good like 1995 was my year i was on fire in 1995 went to the youth camp 
sang in the youth choir, sold snacks after church in the lobby. Come on, somebody. I was safe, safe. You know, like 95 was a good year. Got so long to go. I just did some of your childhood right there. I've got so long to go. But what you don't realize is that when you turn around and you reach out for Christ, he's not going to be there. Where you will find him is here. This is where he is. And this is why Paul says, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you're going to be saved. Is because Paul knew, because he walked through this. Go read your Bible, Acts 9. Paul knew. The minute I turned around and I thought I was going to start running back to him, I didn't have anywhere to run because he was right there next to me. He was already there. And before I could open my arms, his arms were already open wide. Before I could hug him, he embraced me. Be because this is the loving God. I didn't pursue him, he pursued me. So, so when you walked into the club, the reason you felt a little uneasy is because he was right there walking with you. And when you were in that bad relationship that you knew you had no business in, he was right there with you. We think, and what religion has taught us is that we've got so far to go in order to get to him. But Paul realized that the minute I turned around, that's where he was. That's where he was. And before I can get a hold of him, this is why if you go read the King James Version, he says this, I was apprehended by the person that I was trying to apprehend. He said, I was going to turn around and I was going to hug him. Before I can hug him, he hugged me with his loving arms. Before I could, he said, he so wondrously reached out for me. Do you want to know who also knew about this? David, the greatest king in all of Israel, who was also really, really dealing with his own struggles. He had a lot of his own demons that he had to fight. But he wrote this. He wrote this for those of you that are like, where's the scripture for that, Pastor Josh? David said this, if I make my bed in hell, you are there with me. David knew that no matter how far I get, all I've got to do is turn to you and you're there. What he doesn't do is look at us with a religious stink face. Well, it's about time you turned around. I've been waiting for you to turn. Now take this off and put this on and stop doing this and stop going there. And you just keep on walking. And eventually you can get here to where I'm at. That's not God, okay? That's religion. That's, that's fundamentalism. That's legalism. That's out of control. Instead, God is right there. And all he's doing is just waiting for you to call out to him. And the minute you call out to him, he's going to wrap his loving arms around you. And listen, he loves you too much to let you stay there. He loves you so much that he's not going to leave you there. But what he isn't going to do is stand over here afar off and say, now walk this way. What he's going to do is come and put his arm around you and he's going to walk together with you. So come on, we're going to restore this broken marriage. Come on, we're going to restore your broken relationships with your children. Come on, we're going to stop drinking now. We're going to stop smoking now. We're going to get away from this addiction. And before you know it, you are right at the place where he always designed you to be. That's what's called restoration. He's getting you back to the place that he's always designed you to be. But I, I see this image of so many people here and afraid to do this because you're afraid of what you're going to see. Someone lied to you and told you when you turn around, you're going to see just how unworthy you are. You're not going to see that. 
When you turn around, you're going to see just how loving your father is. When you turn around, you're going to see just how amazing he is. When you turn around, you're going to see the arms of our father. and He's going to wrap his arms around you and bring you into relationship with him. So that's the good news of our gospel. And that's what I wanted to preach to you today. This is Romans 9 and 10 illustrated on a carpet rug on a tent on a cold Sunday. It's simple. It's not difficult. We've made it difficult. We've, 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 we've said that you have to earn the love of a father. Nobody, nobody earns the love of a parent. It's already given. The only thing you can do is receive it. And that's what I want for you to do today. Let me pray for you right there where you're at. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for your goodness. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.